Maybe you saw the recent video footage of a, of a four-year-old boy dangling from a balcony in France. Maybe you saw that. It was making its rounds on the internet. And when you saw that, you probably ask yourself, like I did, where are this boy's parents? Well, it turns out his mom was traveling with some friends on a trip, or I'm sorry, with, with family. She was traveling on a trip with family. And the dad, who was supposed to be watching the boy, had actually gone to the store and left the four-year-old at home by himself. And not only that, after the dad got out of the store, this is what the dad started doing. He started playing Pokemon Go on a cell phone. So this boy's at home alone. The boy is, or the dad is... Boy, it might be the better word for it. The dad is playing Pokemon Go on his phone. And while that boy is dangling, the dad is still playing Pokemon Go on his phone. There's a vivid picture of a dad who dropped the ball. Of a dad who dropped the ball. A dad who was AWOL. Most definitely AWOL. We see a story like this and we ask ourselves, how could the dad have left that little boy alone and how could he have stayed gone for so long this dad made some terrible decisions but in reality dads we're in danger of making some terrible decisions too maybe not ones that are so obviously foolish but terrible decisions nonetheless and decisions that can have terrible consequences when we aren't prioritizing our wives and our children When we aren't prioritizing our families, our bad decisions aren't so obvious. It's not like you can see our kids hanging from a balcony from the fifth floor. But make no mistake, our bad decisions in these areas can have similar consequences, at least similar consequences spiritually. So how can we be the kind of husbands and the kind of fathers that that God has called us to be? Well, we're going to think about this today. I'm going to speak directly to dads much of this service, but, but what I'm saying, most of it will be applicable truly to, to all of us. We'll be in Deuteronomy 4 this morning. Now, Moses is the author of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the, the last few chapters, the last couple of chapters of Deuteronomy were probably written by Joshua. We, we get that from Joshua chapter 24, verse 26. Deuteronomy is composed of a series of speeches that Moses delivered near the end of his life. Near the end of his life. At this point, Israel had been rescued from Egypt. They had wandered in the wilderness for nearly 40 years, and they're encamped on the east side of the Jordan. Soon they'll be entering the promised land to take possession of the promised land. Now, you remember when God delivered the people from Israel, or from Egypt, pardon me, he did so in a miraculous manner. There were a series of plagues in which his people saw God's power and glory. And as they left Egypt, here came Pharaoh and all of his forces after them. And what did God do? God split the Red Sea and the waters walled up and the people were able to walk through on dry land. They had seen the miraculous power of God. Now I want you to imagine the scene today. They are there east of the Jordan anticipating the battles that lie ahead as they go into the promised land. Moses had led these people from their birth. The oldest generation would have been between 40 and 60 years old because you'll remember their parents, who had been rebellious against God, had died in the wilderness. And so the oldest generation are between 40 and 60. They would have been small children or even teenagers when the exodus occurred, when they were rescued from from Egypt. And they also would have remembered when God gave his law, when God gave the Ten Commandments. And so... Moses is standing 
to this people and reminding them of what God has done, of how God has moved. There he is with surely a silver head of hair. He's 120 years old. His death is imminent. It's only God's grace that he's lived this long and been able to to lead. With a crackling voice, he begins to recount their story. And then in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, he urges the people to obey God faithfully. These are among Moses' last words to his people. Will the people follow God and experience God's covenant blessings? Or will they rebel against him and experience God's discipline and judgment? Let's read Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. This passage teaches that you should pursue a vibrant faith and pass it on to the coming generations. You should pursue a vibrant faith and pass it on to the coming generations. Now, verse 9 begins with the word only. It's as if Moses is saying to the people, if you haven't heard what I've said up to this point, make sure you hear what I'm about to say. This is really important. Catch this. Don't miss this. And he says to the people, be on your guard. Were the people expecting a mighty military to come against them at any point? That's not what Moses was talking about. What Moses recognized is the greatest danger didn't lie from the outside. The greatest danger, well, it would come from something internally. Moses understood that their hearts, within every one of their hearts, a battle would wage. A battle to decide whether or not this man, that woman, that fella, this lady, whether each one would truly put into practice the words that God had spoken. So he says to them, yes, there's a war coming, not a war from forces that you can see, but there's a spiritual war that will happen in your heart, so be on your guard. Moses understood that the people would be inclined to turn away from the Lord. It would be so easy to grow indifferent toward the Lord. After all, there was work to be done, there was families to raise, there were chores to do, there were things to take care of. Life was busy and so drifting from God. Well, it wouldn't be a single bold decision of rejecting him outright, chasing after idols and living in wickedness. No, it would be a slow decision. It would be this decision and then that decision, this small decision and that small decision. And that would be a slow process in which the people would drift away from their love for God. Moses understood the danger of that, so he says to them, be on guard, be on guard. Another version says it like this, give heed to yourself, watch yourself. Moses reiterates what he's, what he's saying again. If you look in verse 9, he says, diligently watch yourselves. The New American Standard says it like this, keep your soul diligently. Guard over what's happening in your heart and in your soul diligently. Moses expects every Israelite to be pursuing God with all their heart, to follow after him with seriousness and with intentionality, to not be inter- intentional in spiritual growth is to set the course for unfaithfulness. To not be intentional in spiritual growth is to set the course for unfaithfulness. Think of a, a, a ship adrift at sea going whichever way the winds blow. Moses is saying, if you're not careful to pursue God, you're going to drift away from Him. You're going to get away from Him. They would grow cold toward God, even if it was a slow 
process. So Moses warns the Israelites, watch yourselves, guard your souls. It's as if Moses had the words to that great hymn that we sang together a few moments ago, Come Now Fount, dancing around in his head already, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Moses knew the people would be prone to wonder from God. They would be prone to leave God, the God that they loved. There's a war. So Moses says, watch yourselves, guard yourselves. And he says to them, make sure that you don't forget what you've seen. What you've seen, don't forget that. Well, what had they seen? Well, the older generation had seen God meet with Moses on Mount Sinai. This would have been an incredibly powerful experience. The people were gathered at the, at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses was on top of the mountain and God just set that mountain ablaze. And there was fire and there was thunder and lightning and there were, there were trumpets blaring. And God began to speak. And he began to speak and to give his law to his people to tell them how to live. The Ten Commandments were given at this time. They heard God speak. They saw his holiness and his glory and his splendor displayed there on that mountain. What an amazing sight to see. And not only that, as we mentioned a moment ago, many of these who were part of the older generation would have remembered the miracles of the Exodus. So Moses says, make sure that you don't forget that you don't forget what you've seen, the amazing things that you've seen God do, how God has spoken to his people, how God has worked in his people. You see, the surrounding nations had their carved idols. But for God, there was no physical representation. He presented any physical image being made to represent him. Instead, what the people had was the remembrance of God's great power and of God's working in the midst of his people. They they had that to focus on. And so Moses says, never, ever forget what God has done. Never forget it. Surely it's easy to stay focused on God for a brief period. Maybe you've gone to summer camp when you were a youth, or you've seen your child go to to youth camp or something, and they come back, and man, they're going to read the Bible, they're going to... And then after just a little bit, it kind of disappears. You've probably had that happen in your own life. You're, man, I'm going after it. And then life happens. And Moses knew. Moses knew that, that that's the tendency. We, we forget. So he says, keep remembering what God has done as long as you live, as you age, as you grow older. Don't let those experiences slip away from you. Keep focused on those, those things that God has done. And you know what? As we focus on God's great work in the past, it inspires obedience now, today. And and Moses knew that if the people would would realize all that God had done, they'd be inspired to continue to obey and they would experience the blessings of God. Now remember, this is an old, old man near his death and he's saying words that matter. Words that matter for the people's good. He won't make this journey into the promised land, but they will and he longs to see them be faithful. These words matter. Never forget what God has done. So, How do you pursue a vibrant faith and pass it on? Well, from the first part of verse 9, you give it your all. You give it your all in your pursuit of, of the Lord. Do you remember something that you really had to work at? You had to to really pour your heart and soul into, into it to be successful. Maybe it was when you were younger and you wanted to play uh, football or, or volleyball. 
And so you practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And tryouts came and you made the team. You didn't stop practicing. You continued to practice. You continued to pour your heart into it because you didn't want to be sitting on the bench the whole time. You wanted to be out on the field or on the court. You wanted to be in the game. And so you kept working at it and giving it your all. And, and once you made the team, the coach helped you. He, he, he would coach you or she would, she would say, hey, work on this or, or do that. But ultimately, you kept giving your all. And you see, when it comes to our walk with the Lord, we have to keep giving our all. We have to stay focused. We have to keep going and going and going. It can't be a short-lived, just burst of enthusiasm and fervor. No, it has to be something that endures for the long haul. So we can't give up. We can't slow up. We got to keep going. We got to keep moving ahead in our faith. Staying close to God isn't ultimately about your resolve. We can have all the resolve in the world, but we recognize the Spirit of God has to help us. You see, when we believe in Jesus and we come to know Him, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in our, in our hearts. And He helps us. He convicts us. He helps us to change and to become more like Him. So we can't do this on our own, but make no mistake, we can't do, we can't change and become like God without the Spirit's help. But we got to show up. We got to give our all. And as we give our all, as we show up, as we push forward, then the Spirit helps us and enables us. So how do we live this out? This notion of give it your all. Well, first, reflect on God's faithfulness. Reflect on God's faithfulness. Well, how do you do this? For one thing, read the Word. Read the Bible daily. And look at how God's been faithful throughout history to His people. Just the fact that we have a Bible to read is testimony of God's faithfulness. God didn't have to speak, but He spoke. Think about that. Incredible, incredible that the God of the universe decided to speak where we could know. We could know Him. We could know how to live life. How do I know that it's good for me to be faithful to my wife? I don't have to ask that question. The Bible says it. How do I know that it's right for me to, to bring up my children in the Lord? Not to be rough and mean to them, but to be tender and firm? Well, the Bible tells me. I have a guide for how to live. This book, this story of, of God's rescue and redemption leads us and guides us. That is a testimony of the faithfulness of God. So, so how do you reflect on God's faithfulness? Read the Word daily. Read the word daily with a thankful heart. It's a reminder of how he's working. But not only that, think back in your own life to times where you've seen God move. If you belong to him, undoubtedly there are times in your life you can look back and say, I didn't know what was going on at the time, but I see the hand of God. I see his faithfulness. I see his goodness. So reflect on those times with thankful hearts and do that daily. Reflect on his faithfulness. Next, to put this idea of giving it your all into practice, if you aren't intentional and growing spiritually, you'll drift. If you aren't intentional and growing spiritually, you're going to drift. It's inevitable. How can you be intentional? Well, to be intentional, you've got to look at the rhythms of your life. Look at your schedule. You've got to schedule a regular time every day to meet with God. If you don't have a time scheduled to meet with God, this is what will happen. Life will happen. This will come up and that will come up. You'll have no time. You look back and go, I was going to read, I was going to read the word. It's been a month ago. I said I'm going to start reading the word every day. I, I haven't even done it once. Why? Because I didn't build that into the rhythm of my life. 
I have to set aside a daily time. Now, is something going to happen on occasion where I miss that? Sure, of course. But in general, you need a regular time built into the rhythms of your life that you're going to be in the book, that you're going to be into the Word of God. Not only that, build the, this idea of spending time with God into the rhythm of your family. Have, have a daily time with your family where you're spending some time in family worship where you're reading the word together, where you're praying together, where you're, you're singing one of the great hymns or, or, or songs together. Build that into the rhythm of your family so, so that your kids learn the importance of, uh, of this. And still, if we want to talk about growth and how we grow and how we stay the course, one of the graces that God has given us in the scriptures is that we're supposed to do what we're doing this morning. We're supposed to gather together with brothers and sisters, to worship him. This ought to be built into the rhythm of our lives. If we're not careful, we got this coming up this weekend and that coming up next weekend and then this weekend it's that and that weekend it's this. We, we look up and it's been a month since we've had our family in church. Think that's the way God intends for it to be? No, no. But it's a slow drift. It's decision after decision, just little decisions. You know this, well, this is really important. Okay, we'll put that aside. I don't have time to spend in the word this today, God. I'll, I'll let it slip. Can't be in church this weekend. Our family, we, we can't spend time in worship. We're just too busy. We're too... Understand, friend, that's how you drift. Just decision by decision by decision. If we want to stay close to God, we're going to have to be intentional. We're going to have to be serious. We're going to have to build into the rhythms and the schedules of our lives. And we're going to have to say, these things matter. And I'm going to arrange the other parts of my life in such a way that I make these things that matter spiritually, I'm going to make them matter. And that means other things are going to have to bend. Well, sure, everyone's going to miss reading the Bible this day or that day on occasion. Sure, every family's going to miss gathering around the Word together here and there. Everyone's going to miss being in church. But that shouldn't be the norm. That ought to be the exception. Instead, the norm is that everything else that's less important truly Important, no doubt, but less important than the, great, than the great pillars that strengthen us in the Lord. No, those things are going to be in place and everything else is going to have to, to work around them in our schedules and in our routines. And if we do not have that kind of resolve, we will drift. Moses knew that the people were inclined to drift. That's why he said to them, be on guard. Guard your soul diligently. Next, if you want to put this notion of, of giving it your all and following the Lord into practice, recognize that you will face opposition. You're going to face opposition. If you try to grow in Christ, you're going to face challenge and difficulty. In Ephesians 6, Paul reminds us that we're in a spiritual war, that we're not battling against flesh. Sometimes we think our enemies are people, but our, our enemies truly aren't people. Our enemies are 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 Satan and, and his minions. They're after us. They're after you. They, they want to cause you to walk away from the Lord. They want to cause you to abandon your commitment to the Lord. And you know what? Busyness and distraction, oh, those are bound to be some of Satan's favorite weapons because they don't seem bad. You, you make decisions about not spending time in the Word, about not being in worship together as a family, about not being in worship together as a church family, you, you, you make decisions about those things and they don't seem like bad decisions because they're not bad things. It's just busyness and distraction. And yet Satan lures us away from the Lord with just those kinds of weapons. 
So if you're going to give it your all, you've got to be prepared for battle because it will be a battle. So give it your all in your walk with Christ. How else can you pursue a vibrant faith and pass it on to, to the next generation? Well, let's look, let's continue to, to look in verse 9 as we think about this question. See, the Israelites who had witnessed God's amazing work in their midst, they were eventually going to die. That was, that's, that's how this story was going to end. Moses was about to die, and the, that older generation, 40 to 60-year-olds, they were about to die, just as their parents had perished because of rebellion in the wilderness. So how would the people of God keep in mind all of the great work that God had done if all the people who had witnessed it would be dead soon? Well, this is how. He said at the end of verse 9, teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. So how will the coming generations know? The current generation must teach and instruct the generations that are to come. Notice that the faithfulness of the people of Israel as a community, that is, as a whole, is dependent upon, upon what happens in families. I, I want us to get that. I want us to get that, to, to grasp this. What happened to the nation or the people of Israel as a whole, it was dependent upon what was happening in this family and in that family and this family and that family. It was dependent upon whether dads took up their responsibility and nurtured their kids in the faith, where their parents were serious about training up their kids to know God and to love God. That's, that's the reality of it, and that's true today. Want, want to see a strong church? Want to see a church that's vibrant? You know what? You're going you're gonna to see families. You're going to see families where there's commitment to God, where there's commitment to say, hey, these things are in place in our lives and everything else, it's less important. Want to see a weak church? It's filled with families. It's filled with families who are busy and distracted and have a thousand other things to do and they're teaching their kids. That's, that's what faith is. You work it in when you can. If you can, if you can add it in a little, that's good. If you can't, it's, it doesn't matter. The community as a whole is dependent upon dad and mom as well. What's happening in the home? So is our church. So here, there's an intentional training of the children in God's word. Not only that, this vibrant faith that Moses has urged on the people. Well, that affects the children. You see, when dad tells his kids, hey, you need to love God and walk with God and do what God says. And then dad does that. Dad loves God and dad walks with God and dad does what God's word says. Man, the kids look at that and go, man, this is real. This is powerful. So the teaching wasn't just training in the things of God and the word of God and the ways of God, though, of course, that's a part of it. It was teaching that was being embodied and lived out and modeled. And that's the way teaching that's going to that's gonna take has to happen. It has, to be, it has to be real. So in other words, dads and moms and grandmas and grandpas weren't meant to merely teach, but they were meant to live it out before their kids and their grandkids. The power of a genuine and a consistent faith lived out was a key component of passing on the faith to the coming generation. So how do you pursue a vibrant faith, one that you can pass on to the, to the generations to come? Well, we saw first, you give it your all and your walk with the Lord. But at the end of verse 9, we see that you make the handoff. You make the handoff. You make sure that your kids get a hold of this faith that you have. Now, a fundamental for a quarterback and a running back in football is, is the handoff. 
The ball is handed from the quarterback to the running back without ever leaving the quarterback's hands. No passing, no kicking from hand to hand. Since most offensive rushing plays include a handoff, it's critical that the quarterback, that is running backs, even wide receivers, can carry out the handoff without mistakes. What's a mistake look like? It's a fumble. It's a dropped ball. And when there's a dropped ball, there's a good chance the other team is going to recover the ball. The other team's going to grab that ball and take off running. But there's a real hazard when it comes to passing the faith on to the coming generations too. Dads, if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful to make sure that we've taken the truths of God and placed them into the hands and ultimately into the hearts of our kids, there's a good chance they won't get it. There's a good chance they're going to walk away from the Lord. There's a good chance the faith is going to be fumbled. So faith gets dropped along the way, and it matters less to the generation that is to come than it did to their parents. And eventually, after a period of time, this commitment to the Lord, this commitment to the Word of God, it's faded out. It's gone. It's evaporated. Why? Because we weren't careful in handing off our faith to our kids. So dads, are you making the handoff into the hearts of your kids of your love for the Lord and of of what his word teaches? How do we live this out? Well, first recognize deluded faith isn't lasting faith. Deluded faith isn't lasting faith. If your faith as a father is deluded, you won't have staying. It, It won't have staying power. In other words, if you aren't giving your all, dads, granddads, and following Jesus and in loving Jesus, it's very unlikely that your kids are going to pursue him passionately. Your kids need to see that your love for Christ is real. Your kids need to see that that you really love them, that your faith affects how you live. They need to see that your life is marked by integrity. They need to see that you're committed to honesty and truthfulness, even when it hurts. They need to see that you're willing to say, I'm sorry, when, when you've messed up. They need to see that you spend time reading the Word daily, that you are pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. You see, a deluded, half-hearted faith isn't powerful in the lives of our kids. Dads, what kind of faith are you showing your little ones, your teenagers, your grown children, your grandchildren? What kind of faith? Do you remember going to vacation Bible school as a kid? I I know many of you did. I, I did. I loved going to vacation Bible school. It was a ton of fun, but there was one thing about vacation Bible school that I did not like. I didn't like it at all. And you know what it was? It was the colored water. Yeah, I didn't like drinking colored water. You'd go to snacks and you'd see these cups filled with something red and you'd think to yourself, that's probably a Hawaiian punch, maybe um, tropical punch, maybe it's strawberry or cherry, and you get a sip of it and it's red water with just a teensy bit of flavor and a little bit of sugar, maybe, just a hint of it. And you think to yourself, this is going to be good, and then you're so disappointed. The Kool-Aid has been diluted. Did that ever happen to you when you were a kid? Did the church ladies ever try to stretch the Kool-Aid just a little too far? It kept the color, but not the taste. Dads, if that's what your faith is. Don't be surprised if your kids don't like the taste of that. It has some appearance of being real, but when it comes right down to it, it's just watered down. 
It hasn't really changed the way that you live. Dads, we don't want to give our kids this kind of watered-down faith. Let's let them see the real thing in our lives. Let's make sure that the color and the flavor match. This is going to leave our kids with an understanding that though dad isn't perfect, he really, really does strive to love Jesus and follow him. And that, friends, will leave a good taste in the mouth of our kids. Now, we need to recognize there's a chance that we can do all that we can to walk with Jesus and to to give it our all in following him and that our kids will still abandon the Lord. This is a fallen and broken world, a sinful world. Things aren't perfect and, and we recognize that. So we can't guarantee the direction that our kids will go if we follow the Lord closely enough. We, we can't. We, we know that. But what we do want to do is we want to make sure that we give the best opportunity possible for them to follow the Lord. And that will only happen when the flavor and the color match. When they match. That's how you make the handoff. That's when they match. So next... To, to live this idea of passing the faith on out. Purposely teach your kids the word of God. Purposely teach them the word of God. Scripture puts this responsibility squarely on you, Dad. You're, you're called to be the spiritual leader of your home. So take time to have family worship together. What does this look like? This means that you, you get your family together for just a few minutes. You don't want it to be long and drawn out and painful and something the kids dread. You just take a few minutes, try to make it a fun time. And, and you, you just read a bit of scripture together. You sing a great hymn or song together and you pray together. It's that simple. You, you've done this in 10 minutes or less. And you're, you're teaching your kids the word of God and you're teaching them that this is a priority in our family. Well, when do you do that? Maybe you do it, every family's gonna be different. Maybe you do it before breakfast, before everybody heads off to work or school. Maybe you do it on the way to school. Maybe you do it on the way to a game. Maybe you do it around the dinner table. Maybe you do it just before bedtime. The key is, are we as a family gathering around the word of God together? Am I as a dad saying to my kids and to my family, this matters. Knowing God and knowing his word matters and loving him matters. So find a time that works for your family and put it into place. Are you going to miss occasionally? Sure, the occasions, that's okay, as long as this is the part of the rhythm of your life. This is, this is what you do and what your family does. Oh, God will use that. God will use that. More often than not, when, when we're doing this at my house, you know, there's, there's we, we do it usually around the dinner table. There's talking about other things. There's, and I'm looking at Jen going, is there any point in this? But I believe there is. I believe there is, even though we're, we're you know, food's falling in the floor, things are going everywhere. Um. Yeah, I believe there's a point in it. I think God will use that in the lives of our kids. If you want help on on how to do family worship, if you go to our website, fbcuvalde.com, click on resources and click on family worship. You'll find some helps there. Also, every week in the foyer, we put out devotionals for children and for youth that are meant for families to do together. And they're based on what you're studying in your Bible study on Sunday morning and what your kids are studying on Sunday morning. Now, in a perfect world, dad and mom are both in the picture. Both dad and mom are wanting to walk close to Jesus. They're committed to that. Only we definitely don't live in a perfect world. So we're dads out of the picture where there's been divorce or desertion or death. I want to say to you single moms, don't lose heart. 
God sees, God cares. God will give you extra grace to lead up and to train your kids. God, God's going to be with you. Don't, don't despair that dad's gone, that he's missing. You leave that to the Lord. You have a heavenly father who loves you and who loves your kids passionately. He's going to take care of you. He's going to be there for you. Next, I want to say a word to grandparents. Use your influence to strengthen your grandchildren in the Lord. Build a good relationship with your grandkids. Do all that you can to foster that relationship. And then use your relationship to to help them walk with Jesus. Let them see that you love the Lord. Encourage them to obey their parents and to, to do what their parents say. And then when they get a little older and they have questions about faith and about challenges in life, then you can speak into those. You can help them see God's perspective. So build your relationship with your grandkids and use your influence for their good. Notice what the end of verse 9 says to your kids and to your grandkids. Oh, grandparents, don't check out. We need you. Oh, we need you. A word to singles. If you're single, you, you have no family perhaps, invest your life in making disciples. You may not have sons or daughters, in terms of a family that you disciple. But in Isaiah 56, 4 and 5, God says that he'll give those who can't have children and who are committed to them a name that's greater than sons and daughters. Well, what name is that? It's the name of Christ. We recognize that family relationships are temporal, unless, of course, and you hope there is, an overlap, that family comes to know the Lord and then those relationships can be eternal. We know that that marriage here on earth is temporal. Marriage doesn't exist in heaven as it does here on earth. So a single person can lead someone to Jesus. And pass on the name of Christ. And that's an eternal relationship. All of us are supposed to be sharing Christ and making disciples. So singles, pour your life into making Christ known and to making disciples. This is the focus that all of us should have. So we've seen that God calls dads to make the handoff, to pass off the the faith to their children. We began talking about that dad who was playing Pokemon Go while his four-year-old dangled from a balcony. What happened to that little boy? Well, this is what happened. A man saw the boy in danger. He was a migrant from Mali, and he scaled that building. He began climbing the balconies of that building up to that boy, got to the fifth floor, and he rescued that little fellow. The man said this, I just climbed up, and thank God, God helped me. The more I climbed, the more I had the courage to climb up higher. That's it. He made it to the fifth floor and people were calling, calling him Spider-Man. They were calling him Spider-Man because he had scaled that building so fast and rescued that little boy. In fact, he was granted French citizenship and given a job. The, the, the president of France said that his skills and his abilities matched those of a firefighter. So he, he was given a job of, of being a firefighter in France. Now, friends, that is a picture of what men are called to be not selfishly playing Pokemon Go on their cell phones, but men who are on the go, who are sacrificing our lives for the good of our families and for the good of others. Sacrificing our lives, not just for their physical safety, but for their spiritual safety. So which dad are you? Are you the dad playing games? Or are you a dad who's on the go to protect your family and to pass on a vibrant faith, a living faith, a passion and love for God. You see, we've been called to pursue a vibrant faith and to pass that faith on to the coming generation. So dads, this morning, our challenge is to get engaged. 
If you've been drifting in your walk with Jesus, well, today, get close to him again. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing. And during that time, I want to encourage you just to say to the Lord, Lord, I've been going, I've been, I've been letting things slip. I've been letting things that are less important take over. I, I've been drifting. God, I want to get back on path. It doesn't matter your age. You, you say, well, my kids are already grown. Or, no, friend, it matters. You're still going to have an influence on your grown kids. You're still going to have an influence on your grandkids. It matters. Get on course. Get close to the Lord. Give it your all to know him. Get to the place where you have that kind of crazy, real faith, that kind of faith that inspires and encourages. It's convincing and it's moving, that kind of faith. Let's cry out to God and say to God, God, we want that kind of faith. We want that kind of real faith, that kind of convincing faith. If you haven't been leading your family today, that can change. Step up by God's grace. He'll help you. Let's get started. Men, let's get started. You see, the welfare, not just of your wife, your boy or your girl, is at stake. But what this scripture teaches is that what happens there, well, it has ramifications far more broadly. It affects what happens here and even more in our community and our world. Dads, you're at the front lines. You're at the front lines. Men, let's get after it. Let's be on the go. I want to say a word to those of you who are here who are not a child of God. You, you've, maybe you've come to church some. You're, you're, you're not sure about all of this. This is what John 1.12 says. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What does that mean? It means that every one of us can become a child of God. It doesn't happen automatically. The only way to become a child of God is to call out to God in faith. You see, God is perfect and holy and pure, but he loved so much that he he sent his own son to come and to die on a cross. And because Jesus died, your sins can be washed clean. They can be washed completely clean. And God can become your father, your forever father. He can become your father for all eternity. He's a perfect father. He doesn't drop the ball. He doesn't fumble the ball. He'll love you forever and ever and ever and hold you forever. But friend, you've got to take a step. He's, he's taken a lot of steps. He sent his own son. He gave up his own son for you that you might turn from sin and call out to him in faith. And when you do that, when you turn from your sin and you call out to Jesus in faith and say to Jesus, I believe you died and rose again and I want to follow you, the Bible says that God grabs you up, holds you in his hands, and you become his child. If you've never put your faith in Christ today, I urge you, call out to him in faith. Let's pray together.